Winner, winner, chicken dinner, and welcome to episode 32 of the Thodcast. I'm Philip Elke, coming to you from Hollywood, and today I'm joined by two co-hosts, uh, Hannah Lee Smart, coming to us from Minnesota, and Jody Pulaski in Georgia. Well, I'm more of the veteran, so I'm just going to chime in first and say, hey, everyone. We're super excited to talk about Toy Story 2. Um, Philip's seen it twice. Hannah and I have seen it once. And we thought that this is the perfect movie to go over because the animation is amazing and the story is cute, too. That's my intro. <laughs> I loved it a lot. And I'm like so excited to be back on the podcast, living our dreams through animation. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us here, uh, Hannah and Jody. <laughs> this this episode, yeah, should be fairly straightforward because of the nature of the thing that we're discussing today. Toy Story 4, a tale of epic proportions, uh, told from the perspective of toys, uh, child playthings, <laughs> um, a whole universe of toys that come to life. Everyone knows what Toy Story is. So we can just get right into it. There's so many things to uh, explore and digest with this movie ever since the first Toy Story came out. I mean, these films were just such a revelation to me as a kid. A big part of why I'm doing this right now, sitting at a microphone talking about animated movies. Um, so yeah, Thodcast, conversations about animation. Uh, thanks again for joining us here. And uh, Toy Story 4, man, um, where to start out? Um, I'm not going to delve too much into like behind the scenes and, you know, the cast and crew, because um, I'm more interested in the story, but also um, we'll talk a little bit about the animation quality. Um, let me just start off by asking, I'll start with Hannah this time. What did you think of Toy Story 4 overall? I thought it was really great. The ending wasn't my favorite, but I, I love all the Toy Story movies and I'm a Pixar kid, so I loved all of the the nostalgic bits and I love that they took the characters as they usually do in the Toy Story sequels where they took the old beloved characters and added some new twists and had them interact with new personalities. And Jody, what do you think? Yeah, I'm not so much of a Pixar person. Um, so Toy Story has never really been something that I cared too much about, like, or Incredibles or Finding Nemo or really, I don't even think I've seen like half of them, The Good Dinosaur, Ratatouille. But I thought this one was really fun to watch. Like animation wise, it was really fun to watch. They had such a good job with all the details. The story itself, like I could do without it. Um, I saw the previous one, the third one, and I thought that was a lot like stronger storyline for me as far as like an audience member but but it, it was good and I mean the talent behind making this is impossible to like ignore so so I thought they did a great job with it but like personally like Pixar is not my jam I'm I'm not as into it as the other styles of animation out there hmm. yeah Pixar is kind of the premier computer animation studio uh, today and they've just had such a incredible track record <laughs> see if how many times i use that word incredible today <laughs> a little drinking game for you um no. <laughs> i mean it's appropriate considering uh you know they've had two incredibles movies um toy story 4 is the 21st film from pixar animation studios uh the first was of course the original 
Toy Story. They've had a bunch of shorts uh, and, you know, just a rich history of like develop pioneering technology uh, going back into the mid 80s uh, with you know, the development of the well, it started out as the Lucas Film Computer Graphics Division. Uh, George Lucas actually had a role in forming Pixar. But then it branched off and uh, became acquired by Apple, uh, Steve Jobs, or by Steve Jobs. I don't know if it necessarily was <laughs> a branch of Apple at any point. But yeah, the, they developed the Pixar computer, a uh, specialized computer designed you know, for the creation of uh, computer graphics. And um, yeah, it went on to make motion pictures because that's what a lot of the people who were employed by Pixar early on ultimately wanted to do. Um, and yeah, started off in commercials. So that all brings us to here in what is, in my opinion, one of the most gorgeous looking pieces of uh, animated cinema to date. Um, just it, it's very different, honestly, from like the original Toy Story. Um, so I, I maybe wanted to dive into some of the the contrast that we see in this film versus you know, what was on screen 24 years ago with the original Toy Story. Uh, this one's directed by Josh Cooley. Now, this is his first feature. And um, the third one, Toy Story 3, is directed by Lee Unkrich, who's no longer with Pixar. Uh, and then the first two were John Lasseter. Um, so, yeah, toy, um, neither of you are so much... Pixar fans. Hannah, are you like a Pixar devotee at all, would you say? I feel like I love Pixar. I'm a big Disney buff, so whenever they do Pixar movies, I always tune in. I love all of the incredible movies. Edna Mode is one of my favorite characters ever. Um, and I love all the Toy Story movies. Toy Story is one of those nostalgic movies to me that will always be in Disney history. It'll always be in animation history. I think it really was a little bit ahead of its time. And it's amazing that this is their fourth movie and it's still doing so well because sequels have such a cliche for not lining up so well with the original. And I think as much as some of the movies were better than others and that's going to happen in any series, everyone will have a favorite, everyone will have a least favorite. I think that Pixar is one of the highest quality animated studios and there's a reason that they have a reputation and are able to work with somewhere like the Walt Disney Company. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I just was going to say like so everyone has their own favorites or whatever, but what I thought was amazing watching this one and kind of like it struck me was I remember watching the first one, the second one, the third one. And every time you watch a movie by Pixar, you're like, how could animation get better than this? Like, I remember thinking that watching like the original Toy Story being like, oh my gosh, it looks so real. And then the second one being like even more real. And then the third one, so real. Like I thought it couldn't get better than the third. And then watching this one just being like, whoa, like they, this, this like series has been so great to show how much growth and improvement like Pixar has had since the original. And Philip, did you mention when the first one came out? Was it 20 years yeah, ago? 1995, 24 years ago. 24 years ago. Yeah. And they've just made such strides and I think it's kind of cool to see these benchmark uh, movies kind of coming through and, and showing us what they can do so like even though I said I wasn't a Pixar fan like I still I mean I can appreciate how uh, amazing they've made their movies mm -hmm. yeah stylistically it's just such a an improvement I mean 
the the originals still look good. Like I was watching clips of those original films today, and like they still look pretty stellar and clean, um, but they just don't quite have the level of textures. And and you can really understand why there'd be such a disparity between then and now when you you know look dig into sort of the technical uh, changes that have occurred at Pixar. You know the it's stated that the original Toy Story um, could be rendered more quickly than you could actually watch the film today if, if it were rendered using today's technology. Whereas in 1995, it took anywhere between um, uh, 45 minutes and 30 hours to render a single frame of animation. <laughs> so, it, I mean, we've come that far in... 24 years I mean who knows you know where it'll end up it's pretty pretty crazy yeah I have a hard time waiting that long for pizza so working that much no 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 no. Mm -hmm. yeah I would not have had the patience for it I watched a little clip about the Pixar animation and they talked about how in Finding Nemo it took them six months to figure out how to make like an octopus arm move and these people have like the patience of saints that they were able to make all these movies like I don't know how long it took to make this fourth one, but did you stumble upon that, Philip? Well, yeah, they didn't. I mean, the third one wrapped up just so conclusively um, with, you know, the, you know, Andy moving on, um, the toys sort of nearly experiencing death. I mean, there were just so many holy crap moments in that third mm -hmm. movie that it it just seemed like such a conclusive ending. But um, I think it started, we started hearing, you know, murmurs of a fourth film, um, maybe around five years ago. Um, and wanting to do like a John Lasseter, the creator of Toy Story, wanting to do like a love story. Um, and I'm, I've been skeptical ever since hearing about the idea of another sequel to Toy Story after you know, what seemed to be just the Holy Grail or the Holy Trinity of, right. of films. Um, and they, I mean, they waited nine years, so they had plenty of time to perfect it. And that was, I think, the MO at Pixar to make, if they were going to do another Toy Story, it had to feel as though it were necessary. Um, and And they did that. They crafted a film, full spoilers for Toy Story 4, <laughs> by the way, uh, spoiler alert, here's a little warning. Um, they were able to find uh, another aspect of this world that needed exploring, which was basically the fate of Woody. And, uh, and they did so beautifully, I thought. Yeah, I was curious what direction they were going to take it in because like I think a lot of people would agree with you Philip that that third one just seemed to tie it up perfectly like they were about to start a new like toy life cycle basically. You know, it was a really good stopping point, but with this one they got to delve like a little bit deeper and I liked that they started the movie out kind of like flashback, you know? Mm -hmm. Um and then and then kind of like building up the Bo Peep character and kind of giving her a really strong storyline too. Obviously she's one of the leads in this one. Um, but I, I didn't think it was as unnecessary as I expected it to be. Like I thought it really held its own, the story. Still not my favorite compared to number three, but, but it was still a great storyline that they brought out. Yeah. 
what could kind of end up sending up alarm bells in my head would be the inevitable announcement of a Toy Story prequel. <laughs> because uh. Woody, according to this film, he was manufactured in the late 50s. So that leaves a lot of space in between Ooh, then <laughs> and his time with, with Andy. Um, so I would love to see that though, when he's brand new to being a toy, kind of like his moment of being forky and like figuring out what a toy is all about. <laughs> okay, I would I would a fifth or not a fifth. It's, it's gonna so. happen. And that's probably why they dropped in like the creation part in there a little bit to like set us up for that. Yeah. Because he and Gabby, Gabby kind of bond over being made so far back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe in another nine years or so. Yeah, so, I mean, just so much to discuss as, as we are demonstrating here. Uh, yeah, Bo Peep is sort of the second lead of this film. And she really didn't have that much to do in the previous movie. She wasn't in the third film at all. Um, in the second, in the first and second she was just sort of a supporting character, love interest for Woody, uh, a bit of a comedic role as well, uh, played by Annie Potts. Um, yeah, in this film, I mean, it makes sense that she wouldn't be as involved because she is like a porcelain doll that's sort of this accessory of a lamp. <laughs> she and her. Well, and she's Molly's toy, so she's not in the same room as them. That's right. Yeah. So, I always was obsessed with Bo Peep when I was little because I've always been like obsessed with animals. Mm -hmm. So I thought that she was the coolest one because she got three sheep. And I loved that they named them in this movie, <laughs> Billy, Goat, and Gruff, which I thought was hilarious. And a little uh, Tinker tidbit, Tinkerbell has a friend named Gruff. So that was just hilarious to me that Disney did that. Not many people would pick up on that though. Oh, okay. Gruff. I I don't know anything about those Tinkerbell movies, so I'm glad <laughs> we have someone who would have caught that reference. That's awesome. Yeah, I don't. I think it was more like a nursery rhyme reference, but it's really cool to me that Disney named two characters the same name, which never happens. Hmm. Is Gruff? Uh, is that a male character? Um, Gruff is kind of genderless, but I guess it's assumed that he's a male. Mm -hmm. Um. Gruff like saves all of Pixie Hollow and that's like a whole nother podcast, but it's a pretty <laughs> crazy movie. But <laughs> um, I just thought it was an interesting little fact. Mm -hmm. um, one Easter egg from that opening flashback, you know, uh, Bo Peep gets taken. The car has a license plate number. It's um, RMRF97, um, which is a reference to a computer command that nearly like um shut down the production of toy story 2 after it erased the entire oh film <laughs> from the pixar servers oh my gosh can you imagine the panic of working like years on this project and then typing in something wrong in your computer and having it all delete overnight or whatever the situation might have been that's funny i love when animators throw in stuff like that that you know like sort of like an inside joke or mm -hmm. or i mean an easter egg i think there was probably a lot of Easter eggs I missed. Philip, you saw it twice, but mm -hmm. I'm guessing there were a ton. Mm -hmm. Can you say which ones might've been your favorite? Oh, the carnival worker had a tattoo of the Pizza Planet truck on his left calf. 
Oh, I missed it. <laughs> yeah, I was looking for the Pizza Planet truck, and thank goodness, my second time around, I did see it, and it was in the form of a tattoo. How brilliant could that be? Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, well, yeah. Th thankfully, Toy Story Two was able to be saved because one of the employees had a backup saved to their home computer. Um, otherwise, they would have been kind of screwed. Uh, although after that event, they did ultimately rework nearly the entire film before it was released. So, you know, they they would have just had to start over from scratch. Probably would have oh resulted in a delay. But yeah, the story ended up changing in its entirely entirety. I mean, that's just the level of commitment they have to, in you know, delivering like the perfect story for these films. Like all four Toy Story films have just been so solid, uh, critically, commercially. Um, I'm very happy to see that that trend has continued with this one. Um, but like getting into more into Bo Peep um, and. I mean, there there was certainly, uh, this was a very positive sort of feminist film, I feel, with the inclusion of her character in the way uh, she was portrayed. Uh, what did you girls think uh, <laughs> about, uh, you know? Yeah, Hannah, I'm curious what you yeah. thought. We didn't get a chance to talk about it yet. She, she felt like a Disney princess, honestly. <laughs> oh, kind of well, like Ray vibes. Yeah, I like loved Bo Peep and I loved the whole like, bloomers and her skirt is now a cape she's really evolving into being just independent and she kind of runs the outside world and as like a porcelain doll who's seen as so fragile and so in all the other movies philip mentioned it a little when she just kind of walks by and she's like hey shit like now she has something else to say and she's competing with gabby gabby who's like a hot mess and she's just living <laughs> her dreams and she has like a spoiler time like the skunk she rides around in, like just it being a skunk and not like a squirrel is like kind of interesting to me. And that her whole character changed from being so proper and so um, clean and delicate to, mm. yeah, delicate. And now mm. she's just like this, like BA in your face, like gonna tell you, like, actually, we're gonna go outside and we're gonna defeat these crazy ventriloquy dolls and like you're gonna help me and that's it sweetie the in the first film like her introduction uh is definitely a bit like sensuous it's like almost some adult humor that pixar writers wanted to throw in where she's like uh you know what do you say i get someone else to watch the sheep tonight <laughs> right no, she's I'm like just, goes yeah. from being the side piece to like mm -hmm. something way different yeah, yeah, she's she's very different, but I mean, just such a brilliant character in this movie. Um, she, you know, you get to a good feel for what it's like for a toy that's chosen sort of that independent lifestyle, uh, you know, free from uh, the the ward of a child. And uh, Woody is, you know, that's his entire arc of this film, uh, learning to you know, embrace what it would be like to not have a, a child that you're constantly obsessing over. I know Woody's such a good like boy toy. Like he's such a good toy. He loves Bonnie so much. Like he's doing all he can to like make Forky stay with 
with Bonnie, but like, I loved that Bo was able to like expose him to this other side and that like Hannah said, like she didn't have to say like, like let's be together or whatever. Like she just, all she had to do was show him this world. And then like he chose, like he made the decision to be with her. Like she wasn't like giving ultimatums or being weird about it. Like I, I thought it was like the perfect little ending for their, their little romance. Um, yeah. too it was it was totally organic mm-hmm. like he was ready at that point to kind of say goodbye I sort of teared up a little bit when he was saying goodbye to all of his friends but I was happy knowing that he'd be with Bo because like now they just get to have all the adventures now it kind of ends at a really exciting point for them being lost toys now were either of you really emotionally struck by the previous Toy Story films uh, number three, I was crying the whole time. Are you kidding me? When they're like, le- like, wait, is number three when they're going to go to the incinerator and like, they're going to like be like leaving Andy and stuff like that. <laughs> That's the three, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That one wasn't like, that was just a mess for me because I was graduating high school, I think when that movie came out. Mm-hmm. So like this turning of the tide of this guy, like getting rid of his toys at the same time. Like, I think that was my last summer, like after high school in my hometown. And I could, I was just like waterworks central. I did not cry that much this time, but my sister and my mom did. So maybe I was just, I don't know, not clicking as much, but I still teared up because goodbyes are tough, especially when you, you grow to love these characters, like throughout your whole life, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same for you, Hannah with Toy Story 3. Very emotional ever. <laughs> okay. I just was like, wow, he left Buzz for a girl. Like, way to go, buddy. But I think like it's fine and it was cute. I just don't really hmm. have emotion. <laughs> yeah. The uh, I heard a story. Um, you know, the actress Rooney Mara, who or Rooney Mara, um, she played um Lisbeth Salander from the girl with the dragon tattoo. I think that came out a similar around a similar time to, um, or maybe a couple of years after Toy Story three. And as she was unwinding from that role, and you know, it's a very kind of traumatic role to play in a film. Uh, she, she ended up, she thought she would unwind with a, a little bit of uh, kids cartoons. Uh, and, and so she put on Toy Story three and that totally, <laughs> She she recalls scream crying. Oh my gosh. I believe it. It was intense. This one, the intensity was knocked down a few pegs. I mean, I, I would say like the most intense moment is when you're not really sure like how villainous Gabby Gabby is. I don't, I mean, she wasn't like that scary at all, but the ventriloquy dolls creeped me out. They were like, I think that was the scariest part was those ventriloquist dolls like their heads kind of like tilting and like exorcist style like chasing them down that was to me like the most intense part compared to number three this one it was more like those dolls gave me nightmares like full body chills (laughs) they just sort of list and saunter around it's it's so great um the, the first film had similar elements with sid's toys um i don't know the second one i don't know if it had so much scary content there was a little bit of like action horror with like the video game opening to that film buzz gets his like entire torso blasted off (laughs) by zerg um i know there have been scary elements to all of these movies there oh the third one had that monkey that was just so 
you know, freaky. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I feel like the villains, honestly, Gabby Gabby's a little creepier to me than like Lotso or anybody else. Even Sid was less creepy than Gabby Gabby. Why? Because she looked so like innocent and like cute? Yeah. And she like, honestly, her eyes, she was just like, it was a little much. I just realized that nobody listening to this can hear me, but I just made my eyes get as big as I could and did like the side tilt, like crazy Chucky vibes. She was just a bit much in the whole uh, Creek vibes. And then the fact that she has like this gang of like male ventriloquy dolls that sit above where she like hangs out to spy on the other toys and like murder them and the cat. It's insane. She's a little much. And that the whole plot that was so innocent for Gabby Gabby was that, oh, she just wants to have a friend so that she can steal Woody's voice box. What? Girl, you're crazy. Like, just know that you're good without the voice box. And, like, you don't need that man's voice box to complete you. So just calm down, sit down, and quit stealing everyone's fork. But, like, he gave it to her. Like, not to I know. Through, but right. I was kind of shocked because I thought it was going to be the lesson was going to be, like, someone's going to love you as you are, like, without your voice box. But, like, no, actually, you need the voice box because no one Actually, one's they'll just you. knock you out, take it out of you, and... Like, here you go, kids. <laughs> I, I, I think that was a, an important theme, like the theme of ask and you shall receive. Uh, <laughs> as, as much as her methods were disagreeable, um, she, she was persistent and, you know, found, I guess, a willing and sympathetic person in, in Woody um, to help her in her predicament. Because, I, I mean, such a wonderfully complex I mean, definitely portrayed as a villain during some of the moments of the film. Um, but ultimately, you know, once you got to see her perspective, very effective and sympathetic, I thought. Yeah, um, especially for Woody, where his whole life, I mean, revolves around that that love from a child and that she was created and never got to receive that. Like, it did touch me. For me, it just would have been stronger if she would have found a child who loved her despite the broken uh, voice box. I think for me, that would have been a little more like touching. Yeah. And I think that it could have happened. And here's the thing. She was even rejected after she got the voice box from Harmony. Oh, yeah. She was still rejected. Harmony's a so little brat. Like, even if you like get a new voice box or get a new, you know, whatever you're getting. Like, someone can still reject you. So, like, you're not perfect whether or not you decide to get something installed. You're just going to become something that you're not. And, like, that's Woody's voice box. And all you did was, like, hurt another person, knock them out, and, like, steal from them. And so No, he ended up giving it to her. Like, he gifted it to her by the end. Right? Well. Originally, she wanted to steal it. They kind of take it, and then he finally is like, well. It's halfway out of my back and these crazy ventriloquy wells are sewing me up. So I might as well not fight anymore and just pretend it's part of the book, part of the movie. That is true. Like it, it wasn't totally voluntary because, yeah, he he was damaged <laughs> during the attack. And, uh, you know. Oh, could have sewed him right up. She's like a little doctor now mm-hmm. with her little <laughs> skunk cart of, of fixable things. And uh, Officer Giggle McDimples. Giggle McDimples. She's Minnesotan. She is? That's that. Oh, yeah. She's from Minneapolis. What? Mm, That was a nice touch. Um, 
they yeah such rich you know content with the the villain character the um oh what was interesting to me is how sort of lifeless the uh, ventriloquist dummies act um even when they are you know in their animated um you know toy form uh and i think you know that's meant to be because they rely on direct human intervention to be brought to life in the first place so like ventriloquist dummies are at a disadvantage when they're just coming to life on their own um they they aren't you know i guess designed for that per se huh because um, their purpose is to be controlled wow philip that's deep <laughs> yeah uh, i guess yeah. it like pegs the question begs pegs begs pegs <laughs> it's something um, it asks the question of like what makes a toy a toy and like what brings these toys like to life or whatever which is sort of the thing with forky like that's his his thing is like he was trash but like all it took was a kid to like be in love with him and then he was a real boy. Yeah, the the entire film sort of begged that question. Pegged. <laughs> or pegged. <laughs> um, and and it is um addressed at the very end during the credit sequence. And you, you, did you see that? Where um, they make knifey the wifey? Yes. That's what I call her. Knifey the wifey. And uh -huh. she's like, I'm trash. And he's like, you're not trash. And she's like, I love trash. <laughs> Did you guys get a little bit annoyed with the trash stuff? It wasn't. Um, no. Yeah. I thought it was fun. I. It was weird. A lot of use of the word trash. It was like, like a lot. Which I thought was hilarious. I mean, it has, I think, a special meaning to people who grew up in like middle class Midwestern America because <laughs> it's a word that gets thrown around in not such flattering ways. Yeah, um, that's us. Yeah, too. like you're trash. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm that trash. You're trash. We're all trash. Woody's like, you're not trash. And I'm like, I'm trash. <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess it's a good way to redeem uh, someone who feels like trash. I, I love the moment where it really clicked for Forky and he's like, I'm Bonnie's trash. <laughs> Oh, yeah, because that's what he like. That's what makes him feel safe and like loved. But like Bonnie shouldn't depend on a little fork. Like it, this was a very like feminist movie in terms of Bo Peep. But like Bonnie also needs to find her two feet. Like if the fork's lost, sweetie, like the fork is lost. Sorry. Very dependent. She's yeah, she seemed inordinately shy. I, I was that way when I was that age. But like, it's probably not the healthiest. <laughs> I mean, what, do you uh, was I, I went to elementary school with Philip, everybody out there listening, and like I honestly think he might just be dragging you along because I don't think you were shy. Oh, it wasn't bad. <laughs> it wasn't pathological. But like she didn't <laughs> even interact with another kid during the orientation. That seemed odd. Right. And she cried a lot well, for a seven-year-old. She, she said hi to the one boy, and then he ruined her life and threw away her color crayons. So like I wouldn't want to talk to them either. I'd make a fork friend and be like, bye-bye, everyone. Yeah, I think she's like five. Isn't that how old kids typically That's are? That's pretty young. Yeah, yeah. They're like kindergarten age. Kindergarten. But I was like a very sassy child, so I probably would not have tolerated someone throwing away my crayons. Yeah, uh, I mean, they're little kindergartners, so it makes sense they don't uh, necessarily pay much regard for, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> common decency. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, the what is 
Forky even made I I got kind of caught up on like is that gum attaching his feet to his body? I think body? it is um Play-Doh, popsicle sticks, googly eyes, one of those like pipe cleaners and spork. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's actually like some kind of molding putty. Yeah. Uh, that'd be disgusting if it were actual gum <laughs> from a trap <laughs> from a trash can. Oh. But yeah, he, great design on Forky. I also think it's interesting how when Forky's explaining that he's trash, he says that he's made to be used and then thrown in the trash, which just as someone that loves the environment, I think it's really interesting to teach kids that they're using a single use plastic and they're making it into something else, which now, of course, every preschool teacher in America is going to pick up a bunch of sports, let the kids decorate them, and then their moms are going to throw them away when they get home. But it was cool to say that, and it was cool to point out that some things are made to just be thrown and discarded, and some things like Woody have been here since the 50s. So it's like, what are you keeping? What are you throwing? And what are you paying attention to? That crossed my mind too, Hannah. I'm kind of like on the same wavelength as Hannah when it comes to like environmental stuff. And of course, everybody's like all about the plastic. And I remember when he said that, he's like, I'm made to be used once and like thrown away. And I was like, yeah, like, and that's a problem. Your thing should be meant to like last longer than like, what? sorry, to then to have one thing and like throw it away. Um, but Woody, like she said, around since the fifties and what I mentioned to Philip and what I thought was really, really cool is even though like Woody still looks brand new, did you know if you like zoom in on Woody, you'll see that his fabric is like starting to pill. Like that's how much detail they put into his animation. Wow. I know that was crazy. I'll send you a picture after this. I thought that was so cool. The detail on him. Wait, he told you that or you told him that? I found no, it on the internet. Jody saw it. Jody wow. noticed that. I didn't even notice that. I'm committed to this podcast, podcast. You had me pegged and begged as someone who wouldn't find that detail. But yeah, it, if you if you freeze any of these frames, you see a lot of things. I the um, one other thing I found that was super interesting was inside the antique shop, they have over ten thousand items. Like hmm. they rendered ten thousand items to put into that antique shop. Can you imagine? I can't even think of ten thousand things, let alone like make them into things That's, like it said 10,000 yeah. I'm not kidding it's such a real world that they create it's like the Lego movie only without live action actors you know portraying right. the human characters it's, it's every bit as photo real though in terms of detail I mean it was advantageous to build a film around plastic characters in 1995 when the computer animation of the time uh, you know made the the uh, you know the uh, assets look like plastic to begin with um, but now they're rendered so photorealistically to look like physical plastic models and it's just so crazy <laughs> that we've come that far um, there's not even really an attempt to make them look you know like they don't exist in a physical space which can get a little awkward and uncanny when clearly your human characters are caricatures and you know they, they're not proportioned like actual humans um you know they don't move in the same way but they have like little peach fuzz on their face all the pores and it's it's a little bit it got i think a little bit extreme with like the human characters in in terms of level of detail i don't necessarily want to see that like on my you know, Disney princesses, for example. Huh. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think it's awesome. Like mm -hmm. I, I like that. 
And apparently in the first movie, they would just like not like characters because they couldn't like, they they didn't have the technology to make them as as realistic. Did you no. see that? Like they're like, yeah. oh, we're just going to kind of put all the humans in the shadows or just do the arm or the leg to like, there's a human there, but you're not, they don't actually have the like ability to make it look realistic. So the fact that they can put peach fuzz on it, like I'm all about it. And Philip princesses have peach fuzz too. So. Oh, that's fine. I'm all for, I'm, yeah, I'm all for, you know, Elsa having peach fuzz. Uh, I don't, I don't know so much about like every single pore or like nose hair, but you know, princesses have pores. That's going to be like the next campaign. No, I'm just okay. Uh, I'm sure they'll make it. We don't. We try to get rid of them, but it doesn't work. I no mean, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, uh, I, I can get used to it. That's, that's fine with me. <laughs> it's a sacrifice he's willing to make in the name of amazing animation. But no, I, I did notice that too. And, and I thought it was pretty, I thought it was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love staring at, I know Frozen isn't what we're talking about, but like sometimes even like the hair on these human characters, I just get like blown away with the, the detail down to the very like, split ends that they have it's crazy mm -hmm. it was interesting looking at when bo peep and woody went into the jukebox like party it was interesting seeing all the different types of toys and the way that they were animated like i thought duke kaboom versus like combat carl even though they're very similar in the type of like kind of toy they are so they're just a plastic um generalized kind of toy I guess it was interesting because they were in different environments to compare the two and how they were kept like combat Carl you could tell he had like some scruff and some dirt and Duke it was clear that he was trying to be preserved mm -hmm. and then there's other characters that are within that realm that are inside the actual jukebox so even like Bo Peep and Duke Kaboom you could tell that he was really, really trying, and even Woody, all of them, just comparing how their wear and tear was, which is kind of what Jody was touching on earlier. Now that I'm thinking about it, it was interesting to see that through the different eras, they tried to animate all the characters a little differently. Wow. Yeah, that's, you know, it really does deal with, um, with time and the varying eras from which these characters Hail. I, I love like the Duke Kaboom commercial and his flashbacks were very <laughs> 80s. <laughs> yeah. Um, his, and his, then he did it. So, woo! Yeah. Yeah. I was, know, but do you remember that as a child watching a commercial and like Barbie's figure skating like on a roof with butterfly wings and then you get the actual toy and you're like, wait, what? No, I was the kid that was like jumping off the roof being like, we did it. <laughs> like, I thought that was a really funny thing to add in because how many times has that happened for kids that you're really like looking forward to this certain toy, probably more so with like race cars and things like that. But, but then you get the toy and you're like, wait, where's like the house that this Barbie goes to? Like, you know, like what, I don't know. What was the name of his, his kid who didn't like him? It was a funny name too. Uh, it was like Bijon. Mm -hmm. Very French sounding. Uh. Yeah, <laughs> little uh, ungrateful little prick. Uh, the, uh, the there were also well, uh, Joe. Speaking of Barbie, Jody, do you know the voice of Barbie in these films? I 
I don't. Tell me. It's Ariel. It's it's your namesake. It's Jody, Jody Benson. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I should have known that. Actually, you know what? I did. I did know that. I think from the, now that you're saying it, I'm remembering. Oh, I love yeah. her, and I love that they pulled her into your. She's also the voice of Thumbelina. I don't oh. know if you guys watched that growing up, but uh, long she's time ago. A star in my eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that wasn't intentional on your parents' part, was it? By chance? No. Okay. They don't love me that much, but mm. I, I <laughs> love that her name is Jody, and I love Jody Benson. We we mm. okay. This is gonna be a quick quick side story. Mm -hmm. Hannah and I got to meet the voice of Belle, Paige O'Hara, oh, and yeah. that made our life. And now, like, my new goal is to meet Jody Benson and say, oh. "Your name's we'll Jody. My name too." Yeah. But yeah, okay. yeah, I loved. There's a. I mean. I know you didn't want to go back into who voiced who exactly, but who does Buzz Lightyear? Because that's the um, other thing I couldn't remember um, during the movie. Tom Hanks. Tim and Allen. Oh, okay. Perfect. And they've done every single one, right? The two of them? Yes. Right. I think the only one that they really replaced was John Rickles, right? He was not replaced. They just used clips from other recordings that he's done. That as, is so interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love their uh, their tribute to Don Rickles at the end was like very, very cool. And all of the different um, little shorts that they had. Wait, I miss because it. he's such a staple in like Disney history and Disney animation. Mm -hmm. Fill me in. What are you talking about? Mr. Potato Head? Okay. Uh, uh, the, uh, the actor passed away recently. But what did they, What was there something at the end that I didn't see? Um, there was three shorts at the end and then a little blurb that just said in memory of Don Rickles. And there was oh. another one for an animator shortly after him. And I do not remember his name. So I'm sorry, but everyone should go look that up because all these people work very hard. Don Rickles is an icon. He's done tons of stuff just as an actor mm -hmm. in general, but he's really a part of the Disney family, has done tons of voices aside from Mr. Potato Head. And he's one of those voices that they just kind of flow into different movies. He's almost his own Easter egg in a way. Yeah, the other in memory of was Adam Burke, uh, an oh, animator. Oh, yeah. Um, so he, he's done animation um, as, as an animator. And uh, yeah, I think he, he was on, yeah, he's, his career spans way back to Thumbelina. This is his first credit here. Well, 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 the gang's back together again. Mm-hmm. And it yeah. just shows the dedication through these films and through the people that create them, how they're all so intertwined with one another that they want the same actors and the same animators and they do the same things and they have such a successful product. They become lifelong friends. You know, there's the nine old men that everyone talks about and the different people within Disney animation. I think it's really interesting that Disney's almost, and even Jody Benson, like all of those people, like, they're such a family and they're so intertwined with one another. And I think that in turn helps to create such an mm -hmm. iconic presence and such a um, high quality work. It, it's helpful in animation where there isn't a ton of publicity surrounding the talent involved in animation. It's, it's such a collective, you know, communal process. Um, it, it's, it's very egoless compared to like live action which is very personality driven. Uh, so it helps keep things sort of contained and, and, and yeah, like family oriented with these people when they're not like always competing for status and publicity. This is a silly question, but maybe one of you guys know it now that I'm thinking of these voice actors. When they film scenes, um, 
are they together like in a room speaking to one another or do they just like take one person in at a time do you guys know kind of how that process works with an animated movie um yeah uh they question but i'm curious now so with these live action films when they're dealing with big name stars uh typically it's solo recordings but on occasion they'll bring in multiple characters if they if they really want to get some of the dynamics you know the shared um you know dynamics between some of these characters uh, in person it does happen um but mainly it's solo recordings however in like tv animation it is largely done with a panel of actors right it's almost just like a table read for tv animation and like with bigger things like philip said so things that are a series or are long running oftentimes even a film these people that are big name stars like tim allen their schedule it's honestly comes down to scheduling a lot of the time because all of these people are in different cities and you can record disney has multiple studios there's different studios you can rent that kind of stuff and unless it's a scene where they really need them to be in the same room they often don't even ask the actors um but they do a lot of the times um disney's famous for having the live like the motion actors and then a voice actor that was more so with like older movies but now they can kind of watch their character as they're learning to speak that's just something that we learned in mm -hmm. schools like so you'll watch if i'm bo peep i'm watching bo peep's action on a film and i'm kind of mouthing the words for her and creating it that way huh yeah yeah the uh, the lead animators will record themselves um, you know, as a reference, it's pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> um, and, uh, and yeah, they also record the actors, uh, performances as a reference as well. Uh, oh, there was a moment in the beginning. Remember, um, in Bonnie's closet, there were all the kind of forgotten toys. Um, and these are all voiced by very famous legacy actors in Hollywood. Um, yes. Betty White is one of them. Mm -hmm. And, um, oh darn it, Carol Burnett is another one. Mm -hmm. I was reading the credits when I was waiting for the last short with my mom and I was like, I didn't know Carol Burnett was in this movie. And obviously I Googled because that's amazing. And then you just get flooded with these honestly iconic people that are just doing these small parts. And you're like, there are no small parts. That is when it hit home, baby. Really bridging the generations. Uh, yeah, Alan Oppenheimer as old timer, Carol Burnett as Cheryl Burnett, uh, <laughs> Betty White, <laughs> she was the big plastic chair, Betty White uh, was Bitey White. Uh, do you remember what that character was? It was like a toy cat or something? I don't. I honestly Shark? didn't really realize it until I saw it in the credits. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I was just shocked. I saw it twice. I should remember uh, Carl Reiner as Carl Reinerosaurus. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the rhinoceros. Um, and uh, Mel Brooks as Maleficent, an uh, Maleficent Brooks. <sighs> <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's any characters that we didn't like touch into yet. We didn't um, really talk about Dunny or Bunny and Ducky which were like pretty gangster for Disney, might I say. 
they um, yeah they really brought in like a very modern sensibility mm-hmm. and you know of, what character yeah. i keep thinking about um combat carl's friend that never gets a high five yeah what happened well, there <laughs> they, they were all combat carl just in different costumes oh um, and it's it's pretty hilarious they actually got a carl to voice combat carl <laughs> Oh, Disney. Uh, Carl Weathers. Uh, if you're familiar with Rocky, uh, he plays Apollo Creed in those films. <laughs> yeah. That is crazy. Th- that was definitely one of the better running gags. Um, I, my favorite running gag by far, though, and I think the audience, based on the reaction as well, um, do, do you guys know what that might be? The, the, I, what what uh, I would say got the biggest laugh. His inner voice thing with Buzz. No, that was a great plot element. A lot in ours, they're like, ah, mm-hmm. inner voice. But uh, I don't it was know. the unicorn uh, buttercup oh. played oh by Jeff God, Garland. Trying to get the dad sent to jail. Which, <laughs> yeah. That was hilarious. One of the best scenes was like the slamming of the brakes in the RV and the mom just being like, "What's going on?" Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. The they were yeah that was definitely a bit out of like a national lampoon film. <laughs> <laughs> Trouble with the RV. And then uh, his dream almost came true because they almost did arrest the dad. Okay, very yeah. close. I was not expecting that to pay off like it did. <laughs> that was hilarious, and they really hinted at it. And then when it happened, everyone was like, "Wait, what just happened?" Okay, but like these people are so so dumb, not dumb, but like how do they not know that these toys are like sprinting around and running the show? I was like, when are they gonna like see one of these toys doing the Macarena in the middle of the antique store? Like, do you ever wonder that? Like that, that was a hang up I had watching this movie. It's like how how are these toys not getting caught? <laughs> I mean it's it's for the story, but still. Because nobody expects it to be them. So anytime you make eye contact with them, they just freeze. Yeah, like there was the moment in the beginning when Slinky's hanging out the window and it's like- And she closes it right on him. Like even if he wasn't alive, wouldn't you like notice there's a toy sticking out your window as you're sleeping? (laughs) They must have like some kind of reality goggle, you know, filtration goggles protecting them from people. Convenient. Yeah. And the- I guess I one clip from an earlier film was like when all the toys are together at the end of Toy Story 2, there's like the Etch-A-Sketch that says, welcome home, Andy. I mean, it's very convenient of Andy to not like be like, oh, hey, mom, wow, what a nice job you did on this Etch-A-Sketch, writing out my freaking name <laughs> in English. It's like, oh, Andy, I, I don't remember doing that. What the, I must be getting old. <laughs> I can't even remember writing his name on a freaking Etch-A-Sketch. <laughs> um, I forgot about that. I kind of want to rewatch these now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just saw that on a clip today. Super cute. But, and and uh, one, I guess, one of the, the most dramatic moment, I guess, of the film was a bit undercut for me when, you know, Buzz and Woody are saying farewell. And... I was kind of thinking, this is all going on while Forky is having an uh, an auto lock duel <laughs> uh, with Bonnie's dad, you know, oh, in the yeah. RV. So it's like he abandons that task anyway, though. That when he ends up yeah. hugging him instead. 
Yeah, there's this ticking clock going on in the background of this incredibly emotional and pivotal scene. So you just kind of have to turn your that part of your brain off. Porky is so innocent. He is, yeah. And and then yeah, that resolution at the end of like, how am I alive? Well, the answer is simply, I don't know. Yeah, she takes like, some googly eyes on you. Congrats. <laughs> yeah like how they don't bother you know they don't um dig too deeply in explaining it because because it's it's a good existential parallel to like the meaning of life in general and uh you know if you think too hard about it it'll all just kind of come apart mm -hmm. um oh and at at the did you stay for the very very post credits i missed it what what did they do uh Combat so Carl, was, yeah. Yeah, there's the three different ones. Mm -hmm. Tell us more, Hannah. Well, there was the one at after all the credits played during the logos. Hannah, did you see that one? Yes, um, with the with the lamp. Mm hmm. And tell tell Jody what happened during that one. Um. So, uh, it was Duke Boom, right? Yep. Duke Boom comes and he's like smushing the eye. Which the poor Pixar I never gets a break. Like pick the X or the A or the R, you know, like get it going. Mm -hmm. Anyways, Duke Boom like ruins the eye, and then the combat Carl that can't get a high five comes in. <laughs> he finally gets his high five. <laughs> yeah, and he gets his high five, and it's like wow, that took like my whole life, but I'm so glad that it happened. Oh. Yeah, um, he, and then the other shorts were, um, oh shoot, well, um, there was one with, the one with the knife was the first one. Knifey wifey. The knifey wifey. And the second one was. Uh, well, there, there was the, I think the knife was the last, because it, um, Iris outs on uh, uh, Forky's eye, his little lazy eye. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, before that, we had scenes of the carnival. I think they must have built like an entirely new location because the carnival was then seen like on a coastline. It looked well, like. I think it must be like a traveling carnival. Yeah. Oh, yeah. With Bunny and Ducky. I was just impressed by, you know, the amount of work that probably went in, you know, that went into putting yeah. this whole new location in this post credit scene. Um, but yeah, the the. Oh gosh, <laughs> the winner, winner, chicken dinner and uh, plush rush. <laughs> oh my gosh, those got such huge laughs. Oh, when they kept attacking the old lady, I couldn't <laughs> handle it. I was like, quit it, leave Harmony's grandma alone. Were, uh, did you also not find that hilarious or was it just too real? <laughs> oh no, it was funny. I was yeah. just like, God, these guys are just, you know, eighth times the charm. Uh, but yeah, there's the one where they are fantasizing about you know, turning into these giant kaiju and attacking the carny. Oh, yeah. yeah, I do remember that now. With laser eyes. Yeah. Um, and they're helping all the other toys escape. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're helping the kids win the prizes. And yeah. Yeah, uh, that was sweet. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I think that's pretty much it. Um, I mean, I'm interested to see further adventures of Woody and Bo Peep in the Traveling Carnival. 
Yeah, I I think that'd be cool. But now that I mean, earlier you mentioned the prequel, that would really like get me back in the theater. I think the prequel, prequel. would be cooler. Like, who mm. was his original child, or was he like in a box at a store for like thirty years, yeah. fifty years? Like, what is the story behind Woody? They they could do both. They could like ha- have it be a sequence of flashbacks as he's you know describing it. Yeah, that's such a good mm-hmm. idea, Philip. Yeah. Wow, Philip. Disney should he, call you and say, Philip, we heard this on the I mean, podcast. Here's $55 billion for your idea. Yeah. I mean, I've got do a few think, pitches. <laughs> do you think that they've like already started? I mean, financially, was this, I'm assuming, but like, was this movie a success? Like, do you think they're already like open to doing a fifth? Like, do, was the, I, I mean, the theater I went to was full, mm-hmm. but Philip, do you know if the box office is like singing at praises or what? So it did very well at the opening box office. It got uh, 118 million um, op- its opening weekend, just this past weekend. Must um, be nice. Yeah, yeah send some this way. So is that? Um, I'm gonna check the comparison to the first uh, Toy Story. Oh, okay, or not first. Uh, the the previous Toy Story got 110. So it did top oh. Toy Story Ooh. three. At the opening weekend. But also the inflation cost of movie tickets. Yeah, adjusted for inflation, Toy Story 4 probably didn't quite uh, beat Toy Story 3. But it's still, uh, you know, a wonderful, incredible amount. Right. Right. Take a shot. It looks like globally, it was 20... 238 million globally. That's what I'm seeing here. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure so, that number is probably a lot bigger than, you know, the global figure for opening weekend would have been nine years ago since that. And I mean, it's a long summer ahead. So that, like, any excuse to go to the theater, it's going to get more than enough money. But I'm guessing Disney doesn't just do movies for the money. Like, they might just say, nope, this is where we wanted it to end. I don't know. Yeah. That's why it took nine years to make this one. They weren't, you know, they didn't have a release date and then say, you guys got to come up with something to hit this release date, (laughs) which is how most major studios operate or have traditionally operated. Um, That's probably having to change more and more. I mean, Hollywood is rapidly changing. The business models are being hit hard by the introduction of things like streaming services and just on-demand content available on handheld devices. YouTube, <laughs> I mean, uh, it's all, uh, Key and Peel. you know, Ducky and Bunny, they started out as YouTubers um, and they've really injected a lot of that sensibility into this movie in a, in a fresh way. Um, I think the polar opposite of trying to attempt that same thing uh, was represented in like the character's skids and mud flap from the transformers movies i don't know if you guys saw that no, <laughs> saw them okay yeah i think the second one introduced these two like gangsta characters oh i left <laughs> the theater i did not like that i thought that was so annoying now that as soon as you said like two gangster transformers i was like oh god i hated that so much yeah <laughs> universally you know reviled um but if you do that well, you end up with characters like Ducky, Ducky and Bunny. Bunny. Yeah. Ducky um, Bunny. So, yeah. Uh, well, we've kind of delved quite heavily into this. I yeah. I wanted to have Dawson on the show, but he 
is busy. He's got, you know, wedding coming up. Uh, so he, I might append a, a, a um, segment with him, just getting right. some of his thoughts uh, after a, a little break here. Yes. Uh, I, you know, you can look as at these kids as like deities or gods to the toys, but that would make for a lot of very evil gods, I feel like. Uh, yeah, they're constantly throwing them down the stairs. I mean, not in this movie, but like in real life, if your toys were real, the abuse, yeah. the abuse that they would go through, <laughs> like diving them into the bottom of the bathtub, holding them underwater. I would have to say Andy's and Bonnie's toys are very much in the minority in terms of their, how they're treated. Care. And cared for. Um, so I don't know if that's a very good like analogy to use. Maybe the toys are like, you know, God it, to the kids, where like the toys will love the kid unconditionally, you know, whether they're neglected. I mean, that's not always the case as we see in these films, but for certain characters like Woody, I, f I feel like he takes his devotion to Bonnie to some very extreme places. Um, that, you know, defied logic from my perspective, but perhaps from his perspective seemed fully rational. Deep thoughts. <laughs> On the Thoughtcast. Well, um, yeah, so you girls, uh, any final thoughts from either of you? I want to know what you guys rated it. I know people think that's annoying, like one to ten, but like, what would yeah. you give it? If you were doing like a Philip score or a Hannah score, one to ten. I don't know, Hannah. Frozen for Philip, and like one being, I don't know, Hannah, what movie do you hate? This was a 10 for me. Like, it hit really? all the marks. Yes. A 10. Story, too? Like, whoa. It, it, it went what? above. It, oh, it just, hi. It went above and beyond in so many ways that, like, even if I had minor gripes about things, like, the rest just totally made up for it. So, I mean, Hannah, what, what would you say? I feel like I was entertained the whole time. So that puts it at like the top of the scale. I wasn't obsessed with the ending. Um, and I think it could have been like a tiny bit longer. So maybe like an eight and a half, but only because I wanted more. And I wanted Buzz and Woody to stay together forever. And Bo Peep could have just like got it together and like lived in Bonnie's sandboxes. That was what she was into. <laughs> uh with giggle mcdimples mm -hmm. jody i think uh i would probably give it okay if i didn't dislike pixar kind of the way that i do i'd probably be like an eight but like since i would never go to it again but i would tell mm -hmm. people it was cute so like is that a six or <laughs> like i don't want to see it ever again really but it was fun. so what's your number baby six i guess six but like if i liked pixar like eight wow <laughs> no like, i mean the, i don't know i'm saving my 10 for the lion king okay the ventriloquist like, dummies the, the baby doll like all this crazy like <laughs> the ten thousand things in just the antique shop yeah you know, you know what it was a little busy i'm giving it a six that's I, fine i get that actually <laughs> it was a oh, lot of be getting some emails oh well the podcast will be unsubscribed <laughs> No, I'm saving oh my, my ten for the Lion King. Like I thought it was good. I would say like bring your kids to it, bring your wives to it, but like and tell your kids to subscribe to the podcast. I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna watch it on Netflix or Disney Plus anytime soon. Um, all right. Well, so that's probably gonna wrap it up for the three of us here. Um, I mean we so some of us much 
warmer on this film than others, but uh, I think we all three enjoyed Fine, it. I can have a seven. I don't want to be like the loser. No. Jeez, a seven? A seven is good. Five is like, eh. Six is like cute. I, I love, yeah. It comes out in two weeks. I'm not going to call Toy Story 4 a 10. I <laughs> know. Oh, I love dissenting opinions. Um makes makes it spicy but no we we were all, we all liked it we we are all in agreement that this is a good good Worth watch and like a seven yeah. is the new 10 mm -hmm. um yeah so yes uh we'll be back everyone bonnie made a friend in class oh she's already making friends no no she literally made a new friend i want you to meet forky uh, hi hello <gasps> He's a spork. Yes, yeah, I know. Forky is the most important toy to Bonnie right now. We all have to make sure nothing happens to him. Woody, we have a situation. I am not a toy. I was made for soup, salad, maybe chili, and then the trash. <gasps> Buzz, we've got to get Forky. Affirmative. Welcome to the fact check segment with my brother Dawson Elke. <laughs> hey, Dawson. Checking those facts <laughs> for Toy Story Four. Uh, no, so Dawson, I was really hoping to talk to you about this movie. I know you wanted to talk about it. You were un unable to join us on the original recording with Hannah and Jody, so we're just adding this onto the end of the uh, the episode. It'll be a bit of a long one, but a worthwhile adventure, I'm sure. Um, and we, we won't go on too long. We'll just kind of cover some things that maybe we kind of missed um, uh, for, you know, during, you know, the original show. There are a couple of points I wanted to make. Um, <laughs> and I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited. well, I'll start off with this, Dawson. Please. Uh, okay, so you really like the movie. I am head over heels for it. Yes, yeah. you can, <laughs> I have had I have had time at the refrigerator yeah. to process. Well, you've seen it once so. only. I've seen it, I've seen it once, and since then, while driving or you know going to sleep in the middle of the night at the fridge, I've gone. Wait, wait, wait a minute. What? No, just well, a handful of times. So I I did give it a ten out of ten score on the episode. Um, that was my I, that was my getting out of the seat, leaving the theater score for mm -hmm. sure. 10 out of 10. But I'll begin with this, Dawson. Was Buzz Lightyear dumber in this movie? <laughs> I was going to ask you the same thing. What happened to hashtag not my buzz? No. Um, uh, well, okay. So, well, my question, I was going to phrase it to you this way. Buzz doesn't have a conscience? I, I also wanted to get into that too, which we didn't on the show, but... Um, the the concept of the inner voice like the inner monologue and i i love that there's like a character that doesn't really know what that is because i feel like there might be people out there certainly not me who don't have a constant chattering inner monologue yeah well that right i was wondering that's exactly what that character was and it was really fun but why was that character buzz lightyear uh I, he's it had never occurred to me that buzz might be a character without a conscience i mean he went through the arc of being a, a, a believing he was what his packaging said he was. Uh, well, this he has a conscience. It just doesn't take the form of like a rhetorical voice within his head. 
Right. Yeah. Like Woody makes it sound like his voice is like the Socrates daemon, which is the voice that is always telling him. Well, actually, Socrates said his daemon, which doesn't mean demon. He meant it by just, you know, a spirit or a conscience. They're related. (laughs) His voice only told him what not to do. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, but Buzz. Yeah. uh, And Woody obviously has a very strong voice. Like, this is what you should do. And you need to trust it. And then but for Buzz. So it made me wonder about, I, I would call myself a Toy Story aficionado. I'm not, I'm, I'm really not. It's been a while since I've seen all of them and I only know how much I love them, but I really was going back and trying to replay those movies as best I could in my head after seeing this one to try to, well, especially to remember Buzz's place in them all because that was one of the biggest things about this movie was the central cast of the first three take the most backseat that they have ever taken. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I didn't hate that. Uh, it worked really well for this story. This felt like such a, okay. Do you know what this was? This was the Pirates of the Caribbean four, but incredible. And I like Pirates (laughs) of the Caribbean four. This had a similar vibe, but was still on par with the first three. Mm. Um, definitely on par. Three is my favorite. What, what's your favorite Toy Story film? Uh, still three. Yep. Um, I, I made the comparison that, um, Ducky and Bunny are the mud flap and skids of this movie, only done correctly. <laughs> oh gosh, from fl- from, what? from Transformers, this Transformers sequel. Mud flap. <laughs> Duck and Bunny were the two characters that could have fallen horribly flat, and because Toy Story films are always perfect and nothing goes wrong, they were amazing. I. <laughs> oh, did you feel like the segment where they were talking, where they were? their plan for how to get the key. Did you feel like that should have been a deleted scene or like a segment that you watch in the behind the scenes, but it did make it to the final cut and I'm so glad it did. Yeah, yeah. Too often you get to see some of these ideas that were thrown out. And I I mean, obviously with animation, it's just so labor intensive that if you were to leave that on the cutting room floor, it'd, it'd be really bizarre. Oh, they certainly um, didn't have to have it in, but but I don't know. I I yeah. <laughs> I guess yeah, because they were very um, you know, incidental. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the the only time you ever see toys directly interacting with humans is in the imaginary world of Ducky and Bunny. Because <laughs> <laughs> it it did take moments out of the story to really engage in humor. And I don't know if the first three necessarily did that as much. It's a little out of character for Pixar, I feel, to just have these explicit gags. That's a good point. Yeah, they were more more cutaway type incidental gags, absolutely, than than just the Yeah, movie. it was like Family Guy. <laughs> it was a little a Family Guy-ish. And of course, Key and Peele were playing Ducky and Bunny, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Yep. And Injecting, they, uh... yeah, kind of some millennial sensibility into these films. Mm-hmm. They were... They were very dumb, but very meme humor. Yeah, if you like, look at the big billboards of or, and posters of Ducky and Bummy. Like they're basically making meme faces. Like Ducky, you know, he's got the duck face going, and he's like a very sassy duck face. And then Bunny's like looking at you all cockeyed. Uh, <laughs> they're they're a wonderful duo, and they're just every <sighs> these Toy Story movies. I don't. They're they're on un- they're just unbelievable in so many ways but how every character has a limitation and something and not only an interesting 
emotionally and they have like such strong goals and desires and insecurities. Like every character has like such a, this is what they want. This is what they lack. And this is their foil. Um, but like then physically with Ducky and Bunny being literally attached at the arm and how, <laughs> you know, every like, Bo has her missing arm or she has her sheep that are limited in their function or some characters are super tiny or, you know, Duke Kaboom has his motorcycle. Like they're all bonded to something, you know, something about the nature of them being a toy has such a, a physical handicap in a sense sometimes to their interactions with the world and to see how they, I just, these Rube Goldberg machine type movies, all these, the toys, how they plan to get around their environment and their use of space, the way these films use space. Oh, it's just addicting to watch. Speaking of YouTube, like which Key and Peele began on YouTube, correct? Um, But like, did they? Yeah. I I, I think they had, um, but like uh, the, it's like a OK Go video, those really complex Rube Goldberg. Yes. Yeah. Just so much intricacy and crap. I, I, so I many mean, that's... zip lines. So <laughs> here's, here's how we need to zip line across the carnival or the room or th- from the RV to the building. We're going to, you know, each toy has a thing that they can do to, and they're going to jump on a ramp and they're going to launch someone up and then they're going to kick someone or use their hook to open a drawer and... Mm-hmm. I I could. Uh, I I thought Ducky and Bunny being attached was something that was going to like resolve. Uh, yeah, that the they're going to get unattached. That'd, that'd be a plot point. Um, never happened. Maybe in a sequel. It it was kind of like uh, here's here's a poll for you. Uh, Quest for Camelot. <laughs> I the, uh, literally was just thinking about that. They were they were the they were the Dragon Brothers, but better what was that like danny devito and the guy who played the twig from bugs life i can't remember it well no, i don't know if they were i think it was danny devito um it, that's the voice in my head <laughs> it is for me yeah um but like i i think i mean that's not superbly well regarded film but no. um but we watched it i think it would have Some been more satisfying Fringley, we watched quest for camelot it would have been more satisfying to me like if they had stayed separated because it's like well i guess they had learned to fly with you know together it was um oh man i, I what are even their names um the, the devon f- and cornwall i believe are the dragons eric idol and don rickles it's Danny. So it's the Don Rickles. <laughs> no, okay. okay. Nice. Mr. Potato Head. Oh. Was, was one of them. Mr. Potato Head was one of the dragons. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, it, it makes sense more in that movie uh, for, for them to be together since they were like one organism. In this one, it, it would, I mean, I would hope to see them like become their own independent toys at one point. But maybe they never, they, they never even you know, brought it up. Like it was yeah. something they wanted or, or, yeah. or needed. They just, it was taken kind of for granted. And um, there's mm-hmm. something meaningful there because there's something meaningful behind everything. This, mm-hmm. this film simultaneously is so simple and just hits you right on the head with, I mean, I, these are the most hands down, the most sentimental films in existence. Like I don't, or maybe it's just me. Am I the only one who just has an embarrassing emotional reaction to like everything that it hands out? Well, I mean, Rooney Mara recalls scream crying 
after watching Toy Story 3, uh, sort of after she had wrapped Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Scream <laughs> she was, crying. She was wow. uh, unwinding from that role and made the mistake of putting on Toy Story 3, thinking it would be cheery. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh no. Well, anyway, what are some of your other points? I mean, that that movie, Toy Story three, had more like holy crap moments than this yeah. one. You know, the incinerator scene, and then Andy handing off all his toys to Bonnie, uh, were yes. just like a one-two punch. Um, I mean, yeah, that's one of the it most- It was a conclusion to an epic saga. And was, so this movie did not need to be made by any means, but I'm so mm -hmm. glad it was. Mm -hmm. and the sort of moment, the big um, climactic moment emotionally in this movie uh, being, you know, Woody and Buzz saying farewell. Um, I, I was a little distracted during- that? Well, I was a little distracted because like you have- Forky in the RV playing, or he's like dueling with Bonnie's yeah. dad over the automatic lock. There was system. such a ticking time bomb during that scene, wasn't there? Yeah, it was a ticking clock device during that scene, so it kind of under undercut it a little bit. Yeah, you 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 wanted to experience their emotional parting and, and all the time it deserved, but you knew like you need to hurry or they're going to drive away. And yeah. then of course, Forky did show up and they're like, wait, who's in the van? <laughs> that, that worked for me. It did. It did. I, I didn't mind. It stretched the like suspension disbelief, but it's a Toy Story movie. And, mm -hmm. These you know, movies like intentionally stretch disbelief. Like it's they, not like the writers are unconscious of the ways in which they're kind of relying on logical shorthand. Yep. It's just yep. what whatever works best for the you know for the action and the business on screen. Yeah. And they make up for it by building such a believable world anyway. I mean, I mentioned earlier the use of space. Like just well, for one thing, how photorealistic every inanimate object looked. And mm -hmm. you know, an antique store. In real life, we walk into an antique store and we go, Oh my gosh, look at all this. They just knew every inch up and down you got that like borrowers that mouse level perspective mm -hmm. of these real life areas and i just i'm such a sucker for that like mm -hmm. being at that ground level i mean their attention to detail they showed like power strips that were covered in cobwebs and like to the little dust bunny <laughs> dust yeah you got your, i died at that point you have your first dust bunny that's funny enough but then she goes on to say what are you gonna name it and i just like died it was mm -hmm. one yeah, thing. you should look up the imdb page for the actors in that scene they're a bunch of old school actors from hollywood oh Art, including mel brooks he played uh the little toy elephant oh mel brooks was the toy oh yeah Mm -hmm. <laughs> um the yeah the photorealism was taken to the extreme in this movie which is odd considering it's you know a direct follow-up to all the previous films and you know the first one banking on the fact that computer animation already looks like plastic so might as well build a story around plastic toys right but now they're intentionally having to make these toys look like they're physically made out of plastic or because they can <laughs> because like yeah I, bo peep was the or porcelain yeah I she was distracting realize. to look at I, I right i thought i always thought she was a plastic 
Bo Peep toy. They sold a plastic Bo Peep toy. Yeah, we had one. <laughs> the she in that first movie or first two actually because they were they really weren't able to upscale the tech too much between the first two. But she looks like freaking uh, Master Control from the, you know the MCP from Tron with the way her mouth moves. It's just like a vector model. <laughs> oh. That's right. Oh my gosh. That's hilarious. And in this one, of course, she's like full-fledged Disney princess. Yes. But you said kind of distracting. Was that because of like Uh, the porcelain just felt fragile? Yeah. How like how aware of how fragile she was, which was like a cool thing. But then also because I I had never seen her that way before. So adjusting to that. And then she has such a a shiny like surface. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. It just kept she, it, she it wasn't looked, it wasn't a problem anymore. Yeah, I mean she looked um on model compared to what she was just like heavily upscaled, you know, due to the technology. Um yeah. but uh, in the flashback scenes with Andy, it didn't look like they made any attempt to make him look like he did in the first three films when he's that age. Did, did you think did you find that I, distracting? No. Well, I I just I figured that they were running with the technology that they have and mm-hmm. just kind of hoping, you know, like, don't, don't worry about it. Like he looked you know. like an illumination character. <laughs> oh, I, I didn't. I don't know. Yeah. I no, mean, I, I guess I didn't. And again, maybe this is just a memory thing. Cause I haven't seen the films in a long time. I, I didn't have like a super no. etched in stone image of him anyway. Like uh, the yeah. Toy Story three version I can remember. And I mean, I remember just, you know, I don't want to play with you anymore. How totally plastic and bald headed and, you know, curious Georgie he looked. But yeah, um, so I'm I, I don't know. It's I, fine. It's totally fine. And it's like he an does HD remaster version. Yeah. Like this is what he would look like. They do show the teenage Andy in one of the flashbacks as well. And yeah. that sort of looks like a natural progression of like the young Andy that they build for this film. Um, but just sans any real resemblance to like that original version in right. terms of like facial structure. But of course the facial structure was yeah, very were... limited back in those days. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm going on yeah, way. They didn't even show yeah. the mom in the first one. Like, oh yeah. Uh, no, it's okay. I, well, and like, so tying, here's the one, the one other logical or like, inconsistency from past to present that maybe has bothered me the most since but still in the most like i don't well what do you what did you think about buzz having all these additional voice commands uh they they seemed natural like he had all these different of course it's like he got a software download and they're like here get the expansion pack and here's 20 new (laughs) voice commands yeah i don't know it's funny. I like how they sort of progress from one thing to the next in sort of a natural flow. It was it just happened to yeah. line up with what the plot <laughs> needed. Um, it was so know. funny. Thank goodness he kept repeatedly pressing like the same button in a sequence. But <laughs> yeah, I thought that I, was fine. Yeah, I, I just was like, oh, those have always been there. We just haven't heard them before. But it was. A uh, uh, ridiculous gag when he was bouncing off of all those things. Like that was uh, uh, like a Warner Brother Tex Avery oh, <laughs> moment. What, what part? When when, when he crashes in the carnival and is bouncing off of like the awnings and the tents oh, and the yeah. door to the porta potty. 
the door <laughs> that was awesome though he, gave, just, he stands up with porta potty there's no well, no regard for physics in that moment but rad. It, was, it was for the joke <laughs> it was um and then of course when he buzz speaks to a human oh and that was good that was amazing <laughs> well i don't but then that broke the whole like because in the in the antique shop they're screaming they're talking at full, full voice they're you know freaking out well he should be able to speak like whatever he wants in his digitized voice because woody's able to do that in the first movie when he's talking to sid oh is oh that's right through his voice box they sid. can speak th that oh, okay okay i forgot about that yep that's about that's awesome Oh, and then that okay, the voice box bit. We could. What are there po other points you specifically wanted to get into, or uh, just I, I'm just way? kind of vamping here, honestly. Uh, <laughs> segue to our antagonist. The, the uh, yeah, well, th we had the marionettes. Um, when I heard her say the name at first, I thought she said Vincent. So I was like, oh, Vincent Price. That's but it's oh, Benson. Benson. Yeah. I and I forgot to Google Is that... know, what Benson fin ventriloquist dummy. Uh, I, I don't know if that's a reference to anything or not. And it was only one of them named Benson. The, they weren't all Benson, were they? I, well, I did read somewhere. It might have been like the Disney wiki that they were all Bensons. Because mm -hmm. they're all, I think, the same model. They, they yeah. can't speak out loud. But one of them is seen whispering to, uh, to Gabby. So they can sort of speak. Um, mm -hmm. But like Woody was originally conceived as a marionette. So that's kind of a callback. Oh yeah, and yeah. I mean, talk about the, the the one toy that no one ever wants. Those freakish ventures. So yeah. Okay, Christina Hendricks plays uh, Gabby. Gabby. We didn't mention her. Um, I'm not as familiar with her as an actress, um, but she did a really good job. I mean, such a. I don't know. Is, is this my favorite like villain character from a toy? I would say. It is better than um, Lotso. It's the most interesting, that's mm -hmm. for sure. Because, and I almost, well, I wanted, well, when I, so when I saw the previews and was going into this movie, I was like, oh my gosh, there's this like old doll leading a mob of like ventriloquist dummies. Like she's the mafia boss. And mm -hmm. they, she was kind of that, but then that she still, her intentions work good like but so complicated because like i need your voice box woody like what a hor like what a horrible thing mm -hmm. but then he gave it to her and mm -hmm. like he gave her what she wanted and she wanted it in the most like manipulative way and then she got and i was i i like was so i hated her so much in the beginning and thought mm -hmm. she was creepy and obviously like her obsession with harmony like this was a really sad, pathetic, creepy character, but then I was losing my mind at the end when the payoff when she she did get what she had always wanted after all, and when ah, uh, so what a twist! I, what, a, what a twist! Definitely my most emotional investment in a villain, uh, in a Toy Story villain. Yeah, um, yeah. We already had Lotso, who was like committed to villainy to the end, you know. So to have Gabby. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man, that that last scene where the kids lost in the carnival and and they're like helping Gabby like get ready to go out and try to ah oh, ah yeah, I it's pretty amazing. I mean, I I one thing um, 
yeah, she was, you know, the, the creepy doll that has the eye, the eyes that close when you lean them backwards. I thought that would make for like yeah. a creepy image at some point in the movie. But actually, when she is thrown into the box by a harmony, like her eyes are wide open because she's just in shock from mm-hmm. you know being rejected. Um, she kind of got her comeuppance oh. there. Yeah, I thought that was the moment where she would like snap and become full bad guy, but mm-hmm. she didn't. She like took what what Woody and Forky had to heart and I, changed. Yeah, that was great. I mean, yeah, she did definitely you know perform very villainous actions. Um, I'm, I'm looking at this like marionette doll from um, the X Files right now, which sort of looks like a very very demented version. <laughs> of uh of benson uh yeah. <laughs> I, I can't find the name of the character though it was just a picture that was up on imdb but it's really great people should check it out just type in like x files possessed doll um <laughs> and you'll see it I'd, I'd never seen this before but um, don't do it before I, bed there are a lot of possessed dolls uh in fact i mean the <laughs> toys and toy story aren't necessarily possessed per se but like that's just the rules of the that universe but there's also chuck or child's play and annabelle um, so and it's, well uh, and there's a there's a whole real world market for it actually mm-hmm. um in the in the like wiccan witch voodoo pagan community you can okay. go on ebay and order possessed dolls and like this doll oh. has a benevolent spirit but like she here's what she likes to do and here's what she doesn't like and she might you know knock some things around but she's it's, really friendly yeah. and it's, it's like that like, one movie with oh, lauren cohen the boy I, I only saw trailers for that oh did you remember no he's like no. babysitting this rich uh, couple's son they claim but it's this doll and i it looked creepy but i don't <gasps> think yeah i heard it wasn't that great but yeah that's make, a possessed doll movie where like the doll isn't creepy or like it should be creepy, but he like doesn't want to be like, yeah. I'm a possessed doll, but listen, I, well, I don't want to scare anyone. <laughs> That's not the same. It's a teddy bear. Um, I don't even know. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, well, so we, we got in a little bit to like the sausage party rule um, where, which seemed invoked in this film a little bit with like just how, uh, ostentatious the the toys were at times in their activities around they him. were bold they were so bold in this one mm-hmm. so i don't maybe there's some kind of a filter around the humans where like they don't pick up on it as much it's just is sort of sort of a paranormal thing going on <laughs> but obviously these toys can come to life in front of humans there seems to be a built-in mm-hmm. sense though for the toys that aren't as like conscious that they're toys, that they do go inactive around if, if a human is you know, is present. Yeah, well, cause there was the moment where the Bensons were chasing uh, Woody and Forky and they were really close to getting them, but the only thing that stopped them was the presence of a human. And I was like, well, what if the villains are so hell bent on their goal that they don't care about the rules like they'll break the rules but but they did they they obey so i so there's mm-hmm. yeah part of me thinks there's something in every toy where like they can't help like they have to go yeah. it was a great moment of world building in the first movie when woody just plainly says you know we're gonna have to break a few rules uh, around sid oh but that was a special oh case. yeah he that's right woody did come to life in front of sid i said the first time you see a toy interact with a human was with 
Ducky and Bunny, but obviously. Oh. <laughs> yikes, that moment with Sid traumatized the kid forever. Yeah. Um, Amazing. Yeah, I guess the the carny, the carnival worker, his name is Axel. Axel. Um, I didn't mention that, but he does have a Pizza Planet truck tattooed on his calf. I believe his left calf. Um, from one of them. <laughs> I didn't tattooed. catch it the first time. Yeah, I was looking for the pizza. That's Planet. the tattoo I need. Yeah. Question for you: Like, do you what do you what do you think about the fact that they have Woody and happened to meet Bo at this random antique shop on oh. a random stop on a road trip? Oh yes, the <laughs> the big question. Because um, it's the core of this whole film, and it's what makes it beautiful and amazing. But is it? Is it standing on a foundation of sand? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I guess it it just works into like the the supernatural um, aspect of these films. The the synchronicity that yeah they often play on in the in the even like the other Pixar films. That's a good word for it. Yeah, like Finding Dory um, is all about that. It's all about just like going ahead full steam and things will just sort of fall into place which might yep. not be the best message to send to kids but like right place at the right time yeah <laughs> it can be entertaining because that definitely like this this movie if i were watching it as a kid and you know if i were a kid who say had just moved really far away and like i had a best friend that i was never going to see again or something if then i bumped into them a couple years later and they turned out to live like right now or you know just like mm -hmm. it would give me so much hope that like i could find that person that i was supposed to never mm -hmm. see again and there's it's, nothing wrong with having that hope it, there's yeah. it's not it's like just so so improbable they yeah they add a layer onto that improbability as well where she's just about to leave like she'd been in this one place for a few years you know with the antique shop but now the carnival's coming through and she's planning on hitching a ride with the car carnival. Yeah, so like <laughs> leaving again. It's just, I believe in, in destiny and it to a degree enough that like when something like that's meant to happen, it's meant to happen. I was so happy to see Bo again. I loved that in Toy Story 3, she was kind of just, they mentioned this character's gone for whatever reason and that was it. And then mm -hmm. they brought her back to be a full, full-fledged protagonist yeah. in she she's awesome. always, yeah, she's always been Molly's toy, right? Yeah, uh, I think so. But she hung out with the main gang mm -hmm. most of the time. In the Molly first... was in Andy's room in the first movie. Is that how it worked? I think so. Where, did they share him? I think they did. Well, um, oh, well, Andy would borrow Bo because she was the perfect character for Woody's Wild yeah. West, you know, escapades. Like, but like you see the sheep the... and the lamp. I, I couldn't remember the lamp from the previous films, but it's there. I don't know how they stand on that lamp. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> using toy magic. Yeah. Um, um, what else? I mean. Oh, I, I was going to say, okay, the, that final resolution. What were your thoughts on that? And we talked about like how the ticking time clock, mm -hmm. it, was, it kind of undercut that moment. But of well, course, the moment in general, Woody chose to leave Buzz and Bonnie and the gang for a woman. I, it was the right decision. I, I, Woody needed to move. He was acting so irrationally during the movie that that had to come to a satisfying conclusion. It did. It did. I, it just as well Bo could have gone back with them, but the message was to let go and 
Bonnie didn't want mm-hmm. Woody as much anymore. And so, well, here's a term yeah. I wanted to bring up with you. I mean, you studied this a little bit in college, I, I believe. Eschatology. Yeah. And end times. Uh, uh, and it's, it's not just end times. Yeah. It's also like the afterlife. Yeah. The eschaton. What what happens next? What comes next? Yeah, I feel like this, and I mean, even beginning with the second or the first sequel, uh, they've dealt with that quite a bit in these films. Um, I mean, you have it kind of looming in the background, you know, back from the first film when, like, you know, there's the understanding that you know, toys if they get broken, they're gonna get thrown away. These toys come to life, but what happens when they're abused and you know blown up yeah um it's it's a little demented or it can be if if you're a typical child who doesn't you know who's not taking that much care of his toys it's certainly no. as much as andy does those those guys have a have a rough life they end up in the trash but i guess trash, trash isn't so bad as we find out in this film no wow that was beautiful i'm still like i'm still thinking about it like all of the Ah, uh, just the profound meaning behind Forky and his his longing to end his life. Like he's this, like immediately my first thoughts were like, there's someone who believes that their life is meaningless and is constantly like Woody trying to save Forky was like watching someone try to stop their friend from committing suicide and prove them that like they're 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 worth something to someone and that's why they should hold on. And um, that's, you know, maybe a little heavy way to look at it. Uh, but then, of course, Forky, he, the trash was a wonderful thing to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and but of course, you know, it's like a, he's going to fall apart in two seconds anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, but then Gabby, Gabby, like adjusted him and made him tighter or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I know. Uh, yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't believe how long he lasted. Or also, yeah, the totally knowing like Bonnie was so devastated over his mm-hmm. loss. If their parents had taken off without him, she would have forgotten that every day. Yeah, like, <laughs> absolutely. And because that's how kids be. But the toys that it's not what's true about the kids nature that matters. It's about like being yeah. for them anyway. And getting back to our original question, you know, is Buzz dumber? I, I mean, is, the toys yes. themselves sort of have a childlike mentality is they are and these these movies bring me back to that more than anything else does like these movies remind me how to how to think or and how i thought as a child like you can still feel all that Mm -hmm. there's simple mindsets Um, and and buzz like he it was his idea for woody to stay with bo peep so he clearly yeah (laughs) he he's capable of some you know complex reasoning to be sure well, yeah, of course. And he, you know, he's never been, since the first one, he's never mm-hmm. been dumb. Like, he's always competent and cool. But, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, he's kind of the the blockhead, I guess, the spaceman, mm-hmm. space cadet. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's just it was just like, wow, Woody and Buzz are no more. Like, mm-hmm. name a more iconic duo. I'll wait, and there it goes. But, so what about uh, Toy Story 5? Toy Story 5, I mean... They've proved to me that they can just keep mm-hmm. keep one-offing these films, you know, if they mm-hmm. want to, and that it's going to be a great story every time. Um, yeah, well, and it would be kind of forced to then have another, like, reunion. I mean, 
I guess Bo Peep and Woody could, you know, go and seek out Bonnie for the fun of it. Uh, There'll probably be all about new toys. You know, they just, Woody is gone in the Toy Story five. Woody probably wouldn't even be there. It wouldn't be about him. It'd be about. There could certainly be an origin story though for Woody. Like what, where was he before Andy? Oh, well, cause yeah, he's from the fifties. And Andy is like the only, so that is a really excellent question. Honestly. Andy's the um, only one he talks about. So, I mean, maybe they just, he has a limited, or Andy was just so much better than anything he'd experienced before that, you know, he just didn't bother um, remembering prior to Andy. Right. He repressed, repressed all that. Um, that's a good point. Um, oh, yes. Uh, the end, the, ver- the, the end, uh, the last two lines of the film, I, I, as I stayed as far as the credits as I thought. The reason I left at this point was when these two characters said their lines, I thought that's the most profound thing I've ever seen in cinema. There's nothing coming after this. So I like left, but for that, the girl knifey comes home with Jesse and Forky sees her and they meet and knifey as what I'm calling her because she's made out of a knife. Sure. Um, she says, how am I alive? And Forky says, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then it ends. I, mm-hmm. I, st- I like still, th- I, th- I think about that to this day. Of course I saw the film yesterday, yeah. but I've like constantly gone back and replayed that scene in my head. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, what a beautiful summary for life. Um, onward. Uh, so we're going, there are no more sequels on the Pixar movie slate. Um, oh. their, their next film is Onward. I got to get a, a brief, yeah, two cents on that. Can't wait. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful concept. I, I, I would love just a straight fantasy Pixar film at some mm-hmm. point, um, but I am excited about elves and dragons and unicorns. I mean, it's it's in the bright. bright. It's bright. Yeah, that was. was It's well. I've always wanted someone to do that well, and if anyone's Mm going to do it well, it's going to be Pixar. So they better have brought Max Landis on. You gotta. You you can't have these Mary Sues running around your. Isn't it Matt Landis? Max. Max Landis. Max. (laughs) He's the one who popularized the Mary Sue controversy surrounding Ray. Rainbow hair. Oh, he wasn't (laughs) the only one. I mean, there. Man, Mary Sue. The concept has been around for. Oh no! Yeah, he kind of started the the Ray specific uh, branch of that Mm. whole thing. Yeah, he didn't invent the term Mary Sue. I don't know. I I've you know i've seen max landis on like screen junkies movie fights and stuff and he's actually really good at like improving uh pitches like film pitches oh really like he's he's a creative dude that's a fun skill yeah mm-hmm. I, I i i i don't know anything about him yeah. other than that he makes like annoying controversial twitter yeah. posts but whenever i see him on videos i he makes sense to me like yeah well he came up with this very poetic defense of the Lion King 2, Simba's Pride during one movie fight. <laughs> really? Kind a of poetic a, defense? What, yeah. And it, I, how would, would you, was it in stanzas? Could you recite it? What is like the most dramatic Disney death or something? And it was like this l- bastard lion in The Lion King 2. I can't remember the name of the character, but like he, he ends up getting the axe during a, a scene and his mo- mother's just standing by you know uh, stoically 
Yeah. Oh my. Kind of brutal. Jeez. You've seen it, haven't you? Like I, it's been a very, very long time for me. I only remember seeing Lion King one and a half. I'll be honest. Uh, which I remember not fondly at all. Uh, Mm. But that's another movie coming out. Yeah, well, what do you think about Onward? Going back to that quick. You got my two cents. I'm super uh, stoked. Good. I might be a little too much Chris Pratt being Chris Pratt slash Emmett. Um, I don't know. <laughs> but I guess it fits. He's kind of a uh, Jack Black type character in this. Like he's driving a big van, A-team van, you know. <laughs> uh, and his chemistry with Tom Holland is going to be yeah awesome. I mean, I think, I'm, not, I'm not sick of Chris Pratt yet. Like I, I haven't seen enough of him to be disappointed i or or to like be tired of it yeah i like the 80s vibe like i've been looping the the song from the trailer the cars uh magic Um, yeah (laughs) that's a great song i one that i hadn't been turned on to in a while um yeah the cars good band uh they're (laughs) featured in well there's a cover of that one car song in the first cars movie i believe or maybe it's the second one it's like hey get it cars <laughs> get it did you get it did you get it? It's, <laughs> it's like weezer covering um africa yeah no, not yeah. africa but oh but weezer the, does cover stuff someone uh, just mentioned that though they so like you, you the might weezer think the song. you might think okay yeah i i haven't listened to the weezer africa on like deliberately so i i couldn't it's, i don't think it's, it's like indistinguishable good. So it's like that's kind of. I love the original. The Toto original is like I I play that fairly often. It's it's an ultimate jam. Yeah. All right. Well, um, we'll sign off here. Um, Dawson, thank you so much for coming on the Thoughtcast Conversations about animation. Um, Yeah, episode thirty-two. Thank you for listening to our coverage of Toy Story Four, directed by Josh Cooley. And uh, Dawson, uh, where can people find you or any pluggables? Uh, I'm in Minnesota. You can look me up on Instagram, uh, Dawson Delwin Elke, but All right. I won't spell it. But yeah, um, I follow the Thodcast. So if you follow the Thodcast, you can click on followers and then find me there. Mm-hmm. I think we might just switch back over to our sign out that I recorded with uh, Hannah and Jody so we can get you know their info as well good so, uh everyone for now listening uh all right we'll be back in just a second <laughs> bo Forky, come on bo bo hi there my name is gabby gabby we can't stay <laughs> yes you can boy ah! what are you behind you bo what are you doing here no time to explain come with me we need to get back to our kid oh sheriff woody always coming to the rescue bonnie needs forky woody who needs a kid's room when you can have all of this wow woody aren't we going to bonnie so yeah um you can find the thodcast uh at thodcast.com soundcloud spotify stitcher apple podcasts um you can find me at Philip Elke on social media. Uh, Hannah, we'll start with you. Where can the folks find you? You can find me on Instagram at Hannah Lee Ever After. Hannah, like H E N N A H, Lee, L E I G H, Ever After, like fairy tales. Jody? 
Yep, same for me. Um, if you're looking for me and you want to follow me, um, I'm on Instagram at a Jody, J-O-D-I, and then my last name, Pulaski, P-O-L-A-S-K-Y. I don't always talk about animation or anything, but if you want to find out what I do, you can find me there. Thank you both so much for doing this with me and then everyone listening. Us. Yeah, it was super fun. Um, thank you, audience, for listening to the Thoughtcast. Uh, you all have Rock. a magical day. Oh. What's that? <laughs> I thought you were going to say, you all rock. And then you said, have a magical day. So I ruined it. You all rock and have a magical day, I guess. Yes. <laughs> and a wonderful week. Bye-bye.